0: So last week we we saw we were we were celebrating the new creation work of God. Right? Jesus is the answer to the brokenness of all things. Jesus is the answer, God's answer to all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all that flooded into the world when Adam and Eve sinned and rejected God and rebelled. Jesus is the answer, new creation again, new creation. And God said, "Let there be light." A second time, he said, "Let there be light again." and when he said that Jesus Christ emerged from the tomb what then what then that's what we're going to be talking about today what then what do you do when you're light you shine right wasn't a trick question sometimes they are you shine So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You're in your Bibles now at Psalm 22. Look at me at Psalm 22, verse 22. Now remember, we're in Psalm 22. Uh, This Sunday is our last Sunday in Psalm 22. And we're in Psalm 22 because Jesus quotes Psalm 22, verse 1 on the cross. As if to explain to his disciples, as to explain to his enemies, this is the story that's taking place right now. There on the cross, I'm in the forsaken condition that the psalmist was in. But that's not where I'm going to stay. I don't believe that's where I'm going to stay. Jesus was believing the message of Psalm 22. It was nourishing him. It was strengthening him for the cross, on the cross. That's where his mind went in answer to his accusers, in answer to himself. And so the story of Psalm 22 is Jesus' story. And the story of Psalm 22 then is going to be our story as well. So, Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 to 21, which is the story of a defeated person, right? They're dividing his clothes, like it's game over, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye, right? It's completely over, he's defeated, but the defeated one is the one that God delivers. The defeated one is the one that God raises up. So then, our question, what then? What then? Let's pick up in verse 22. What then? Well, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And all you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. So the delivered one now has a message. Listen, he's got a message for the afflicted people. Verse 24, for God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you, O Lord, comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. And so the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. The afflicted people now heard a message of God's deliverance to them in their defeat, and now they are joining those who are uh, praising God for his deliverance. Verse 26, they shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. May you continue to do this. And so not just them, but this message is going to spread because there's defeated people all the world over. And so verse 27, now all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall take up the song of deliverance and sing it. Worship before you, God, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations and all the prosperous of the earth Shall eat and worship before him, shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation that they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. So, what we see is that the delivered person, the person who was defeated and has now been delivered. That person now goes on to praise and proclaim the great deliverer and his wonderful deliverance, which leads other defeated people to look to him for deliverance. And then they take up the song of his greatness, of his deliverance, his salvation. You see this kind of the dominoes falling all the way to the ends of the earth, all the way to all generations. So let me get right to it this morning. Here's the message of Psalm 22. You can see this in the structure here. That what God does for us, He then does through us. You remember the psalmist at the beginning of the psalm? He was in this forsaken condition. He's in this afflicted condition. And he remembers the stories of the saints of old. And he remembers the truths of God's word. So he had heard from other delivered people in his defeat. And God delivered him, and then he shares that with others who are defeated, and God delivers them. What God does for us, he then does through us. Another way to look at this same thing is, what we receive from God, we then share for God. What we receive from God, we share for God. We see this, this process all over the place in the Bible. Two notable examples for us, because we've been there recently, Psalm 51 You remember in Psalm 51, David's uh, psalm, we were here during Advent, David's psalm in response to his journey of great sin, great shame, and and brokenness then when confronted by the prophet Nathan, and then turning to the Lord and being restored. And you write Psalm 51 out of that experience. And, And in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, I need a new heart, I need your mercy, I need a new spirit. And then after God's done all that for this defeated person, David says, he says, now I will go and I will, I will teach transgressors your ways. I was a transgressor. I learned your ways in my transgressed state, and now I'm going to teach transgressors. I'm going to bring sinners back to you. I was a sinner. I needed to be brought back to you. You stepped in and did this. Now I'm going to do this for others. Right? What we've received from God, we then share for God. What God does for us, he then does through us. We see this in in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter's understanding of his own story and his understanding of the story of the the Christians. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation for God's own possession so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He did this great deliverance from you and I want you to proclaim this now and he says, because two verses later, he says, because I want all the Gentiles to see this in you and glorify God as well. What God does to you, he wants to do through you. What God gives to you, he wants to give others through you. This has always been God's objective. Now, some of you, this is going to be old hat for, but it's good to just rekindle our minds on what really is the energy of the universe. You know, you want to talk energy for a second, right? Uh, What's the energy of the universe? God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, right, to to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with the kind of close relationship that you have with me here pre-sin, is what he was saying. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Well, that all went to hash, right? Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you and in the blessing I give you, will all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that's just not just in the book of Genesis or the book of Exodus, it's throughout dozens of times that's referred to throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 2. The Lord says, I've put my king, I've appointed my king in Jerusalem, in Zion, and he will rule over the nations. The nations will get to benefit from my wise and gracious king. And then, not just the Torah, not just the Psalms, but we go to the prophets, Habakkuk 2.14, he assures Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea. And just so you don't think that's an Old Testament thing, what does Jesus say? As he gathers his disciples and he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he says, hey, real quick, I've got all the authority in heaven and on earth, and here's what I want you to do with me and with this authority. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. I didn't have this in my notes, but remember what Paul's telling the Galatian believers, the Gentile Galatians? He's saying, you're Abraham's offspring. You're the nations who are benefiting from the promise given to Abraham fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is God's objective. This is God's heart. It has always been for all people everywhere to know his salvation. But how's that going to happen? How is the the message of the Jewish Messiah going to reach Wisconsin? Through those who have already experienced that salvation, they're going to tell a buddy. That's how that's going to happen. Those who've already experienced it are going to tell. We talk about it in, in sort of Abrahamic blessing terms. They'll say that you've been blessed in order to be a blessing. But I think it might be more uh, generative for our imaginations to envision that we've been blessed with a blessing for the whole world. The blessing that's been given you is something for you to enjoy, but it's for everybody to enjoy. You've been blessed with a blessing for the whole world. Jesus is the light of life. And then we are to be the light bulbs, stringing out that life and that light and presenting it to people in darkness. He's the light. We are the light bulbs. How many of you are already feeling uncomfortable with this sermon? I don't don't like where this is going, right? Because there's a problem, right? We don't feel that thing working in us all the time. Should I be? Should this be happening? It seems like it's not. I don't know why. Right? God's light, God's life, this energy, this power, this love does not seem to be working in us in the way that it's working in the psalmist in Psalm 22. Right? We don't seem to necessarily be overflowing with a desire to, to praise and proclaim, and we're not passionate about getting this message out. What, what's going on? We're. We're going to reflect on that for a moment this morning, okay? That's what this morning's about. What next? Why that's not always working? Well, let's let's dig into this a little bit. What God does for us, He then does through us. What we receive from God, we then share for God. How does that work? That's what we want. We want to kind of pop the hood on this. How does that work? Well, it works because what God does for us does something to us. What God does for us does something to us so that his work gets done through us. Again, using our other way of phrasing it, what we receive from God does something to us so that his gift gets shared through us. Right? Have you ever had an experience that's changed your life? Right, a near-death experience and all of a sudden you're like, the air is fresh, you feel like singing and you want to shake everybody's hand, right? You know? or, or you get some sort of unexpected inheritance and you're like, wow, well, this is a, a game changer. This, is, this gift is a life-changing gift. This experience is a life-changing experience. This is how Jesus talks about when his kingdom, his presence comes into our lives. He says the kingdom is like somebody who is completely underwater in debt. Turns out they owe $10 billion. And so, because this is an unjust and ancient society, we're going to take that person and that that man and his spouse and his children and his pets. We're going to liquidate all his assets. We're going to take all of his people and put them into slavery to work down that debt for the rest of their lives. And then this guy says, please don't. Please don't destroy my entire life and everything I know and love, which I fully, completely deserve. And the lean holder says, All right. It's a life changer, right? Jesus says, when the kingdom comes into your life, it's like this. It's like a guy going home from work and he takes a shortcut through a field. And he's kicking the clods of dirt because he's ticked off at his boss. And he kicks something and he trips. And he realizes that he kicks the edge of a box of buried treasure. And so what does he do? He goes home and he sells everything he does he has. He liquidates all his assets so that he can put a down payment on that property so he can acquire that great treasure. It's a game changer. It's a life changer. What God does to us, what God gives us and what we receive from him is a substantial life-altering gift and experience. I love to think about the insoluble nature of God's grace, right? God's grace enters our lives and it is not broken down. It doesn't become something else. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.15, one, one of my all-time favorite verses, he says, we are, our goal is to extend grace and increase gratitude. Extend grace to more and more people and increase gratitude to the Lord. Because, And when you look at that in the original languages, those words are the same words. They're versions of the same words. We want to extend grace and increase gracias. Grace doesn't break down. It just just exists in us. We receive the grace of God. And so we give God thanks for all he's done. And what else does the Bible say happens when we've received all this grace? It says that when the spirit of Jesus, when when this gift comes into your life, what's going to happen? The fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness, graciousness is going to emerge from you. Grace received becomes gracias becomes graciousness, which is other people getting grace from God just now through you. And the chain continues. Grace is insoluble in that way. But that's not the whole picture. I want to give you the whole picture. You know how sometimes in TV they'll do this, they'll like show you one one part of a frame, one, one thing, and then they'll blow it up. And it's something very different. Here's one thing you thought it was. Here's something very different. So we get grace, and grace is supposed to stay grace and become graciousness in us. We get love, and then we're supposed to love other people. We get joy, and we're supposed to share that joy with other people. That's not the whole picture, though. Here's the whole picture. Jesus says in John 15, he says, As I abide in you, and you in me, you will bring forth much fruit. The only way you're going to bring forth fruit is if you abide in me and I abide in you. What does that mean? I abide in you. Paul says it in Galatians 2.20, you remember this? I have been crucified with Christ. The, uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives where? Christ lives in me. Say, everybody say that in a quiet tone, right? Christ lives in me say that just a little bit louder christ, christ lives in me christ lives in me paul says it in a different way in romans eight eleven. he says if the spirit of him who raised jesus christ from the dead dwells in you then he will also give life to your mortal bodies jesus lives in us Colossians 1.27, Paul says, I want to summarize my message of hope for the Gentile world. He says, but the, the message is Christ in you. Christ in you. The way Jesus says this with the disciples right before he leaves, he says, I will be with you always. I will be with you always. What God does for us and what we get from God, this great experience, this great gift, is not a what. It's a who. It's a who. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself. All of the things that we love, all the light and the love and the life and the joy, all of that is just our experience of encountering Jesus in our lives. So, what God does for us, He then does through us. What we receive from God, we then share for God. How does that work? Right, something It does something to us. What it does is actually, it's Christ Jesus coming into our lives. Christ Jesus living with us. And who is Christ? He is the resurrected Savior. I have to admit, last week, I was disproportionately to be found on the couch. (laughs) The Holy Week services, uh, all of that stuff, it just... I got my energy sapped, right? So after Easter, you know where I was. (laughs) I was on the couch. After Easter, you know where Jesus is? He wasn't on no couch, right? We tend to think like Jesus comes into our heart and then just chills, like he's wandering around in his pajamas and a robe with a half-drunk cup of coffee. He's the resurrected Savior. It's time to go. You know, so often I... I imagine this sort of a discipleship conversation happening in my spirit, in our spirits between us and Jesus, where, where we're, we're like, Jesus, you delivered me. You saved me. This is so wonderful and awesome. Thank you so much, Jesus. You are the best. You want another song? Let's sing another song, Jesus, because you, you deserve it. You are the best. And Jesus is like, absolutely. I'm so glad that I was able to be here for you. I'm so glad I was able to save your life and everything. Absolutely. I'm so. You're welcome. And then we're like, Ah, oh, yes. It's so great. Well, and Jesus is like, hey, so what are we going to do next? Do you want to talk some more about what I did? Do you want to get to know me a little bit better? I know. Who do you know who needs the deliverance that I just gave to you? Should we invite them to church? Should we, should we host a Bible study with them? Hey, who should we start praying for right now? And we're like, uh, I, I think I need to, to which Jesus is like, hey, all right, listen, take your time. I will never leave you. We don't need to rush it. I'm always going to be here in your life forever. You and me, me and you forever. To which we're like, to be honest, Jesus, I don't think I realized that when I asked God for help, that you would be so around. Jesus then instructs us at this point and says, "So you thought that God was going to do stuff for you that didn't involve me." This is why we need the whole picture. God give me help and grace and, and love me and bless me." And Jesus says, "You think God was going to do stuff for you that didn't involve me? I'm the grace of God. God's blessings all come. Through me. They all come from me. They all come in me. You only have anything good because you have me. To which we're quiet for a little while while we process this. Then we say, Well, so what do you want to do? Jesus interrupts us and says, Save people! That's what he wants to do. Jesus wants to save people what god does for us brings jesus christ into our lives so that his work gets done through us what we receive from god is jesus christ in our lives so that then we share what he's given us with others and this is how it works because jesus is the resurrected savior He is, right, we now have saving resurrection life in us. Have you heard of a a platelet-rich plasma therapy? Have you heard of this? So uh, high-paid athletes will get this done where they take uh, your your own blood, they centrifuge it, and they take the platelets out, which, to be honest, when I hear platelets, I just hear mitochlorians. I'm not sure what platelets are. But uh, they kind of come out, they, they extract those things, and then they put them back in the athletes and the athletes say like i feel 10 years younger i'm jumping all over the place i'm so energized i got this transfusion this is this is uh, somewhat like what ha- what is intended to happen when jesus christ comes into our lives when paul talks about our experience now living the christian life he says but you have the mind of christ through the work of the spirit you have the mind of christ he says through the work of the spirit you have the heart of the Father. Christ's mind, the Father's heart. He says, he says that all the work that I do, Paul says this, all the work that I do is not me working, but the grace of God working in me, through me. We have the power of God through the Spirit of Jesus Christ in us. So, according to Psalm 22, we should be we should be prayerful, promoting, I just went with it, praising, proclaiming, passionate about the work of Jesus Christ. If, if Psalm 22 is some kind of a guide, this is how we should be, right? We, we, we should be this way. Now you're all starting to feel bad. But l- listen, uh, I'm not talking about the should of, the should of ought to, or you need to, or you better or else. It's not that kind of should. It's not a moral should. Like if you don't do this, God's like, okay, I'll just die for you, and then you go. You know, He's not like angry about it. He's not dismissive of us. Certainly, God is worthy of all our praise and prayer and promoting and proclaiming and passion. He is worthy. It's right and good to give Him those things, but that's not what we're describing this morning. Not the moral should, but, but a different kind of should. The kind of should that is, uh, it is the reasonable expectation of this thing to function in this way. It's a reasonable expectation to function in this way. Right? We're, anybody mow already? Anybody get out and mow yes, yesterday? I heard all, all, the, all day, all we heard was lawnmowers, right? I'm not a slave to the lawnmower, no, not me. But you're, you're going to be about to pull out your lawnmower, right, after, after winter. And what are you, you're about to pull the, and nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen for a couple rounds of pulling the starter cord, right? And you're going to say to yourself, I filled it up with gas last September. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. It, it's got a spark plug. Those never need to be changed. I mean, I don't know what could, pot- it should work, right? It should work. This is the should. What we're talking about is that, is the should of everything that is needed for it to work is present. That's that's the should I just want to be careful because Christians like to kind of you know poke themselves in the eye with stuff. I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying here this morning. That what we're describing is that if everything we we have everything we need for this to work, it should work. Right. This is the normal operations. What what God does for us does something to us, brings Christ into our life so that under normal conditions, his work will continue through us. What God gives us does something to us. Christ comes into our life so that under normal conditions, normal operations, his gift should go to others as well. So why doesn't this happen? Why doesn't this tend to work in us? Sometimes it does, maybe sometimes it doesn't. How do you feel about that question right now? If you had to answer that, just for yourself, why doesn't this work in you? What interrupts the, these normal operations for you? There's going to be a lot of different answers to this question. It's interesting, in Matthew 28, Matthew 28 is this pretty short chapter, very important. It tells the story of Jesus' resurrection, and then it gives us the Great Commission at the end of it. But in the middle of Matthew 28, there's this interesting vignette, this interesting of little short story about the guards. So think with me for a second. Put yourself in these guys' shoes. The guards were there Easter morning. They were there when the angel of God showed up and rolled the stone away. And whatever, however whatever happened next, they were there for that. They saw the resurrected Christ. They saw the angel of God. And so they go, it says, they go and they tell the chief priests. They they tell them what they saw, and the chief priests and the, the elders confer together and they come up with a story and they, they give the guards this story, and they, say, and they give the guards a story, and they give them a sufficient sum of money, is the, the line in the text. They give them a sufficient sum of money to, to spread this story. Which this thing is such, a, such an extraordinary, it's like the anti-Great Commission. Jesus shows up, and he gives his disciples this commission, and they're like, yeah! And these these guys also saw the resurrected Christ and they're completely silenced and the story's completely changed by a sufficient sum of money. How much would it take for you to see an angel of God and a person that you participated in murdering emerge three days later from the tomb looking pretty great and never tell anybody about that? But, but that's what worked. And what's interesting is that Jesus predicted this. Of course he did. Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus talks about uh, the parable of the sower, he says in Matthew 13 verse 18, he says, listen to this parable. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, it's like the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in their heart. He says, uh, there's others who hear the word and they receive it with joy, but... Though they endure for a little while, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. He says there's others who, when they hear the word, but then the, the, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. So he's predicting the power of riches to choke out a resurrection experience. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And my point in, in pointing out that story is not just to say that, that money has this power, although I did, it did just come across in my, my media feed that uh, Wall Street Journal just got some pullback, and apparently, for Americans, our interest in community, religion, and politics has halved since 1998. It's gone from the 70s to the mid-30s for all those categories. The only category of like community engagement or values that has gone up is money. It went from 39 to 43% you know, of people saying this is the, a really important thing for us. And what's interesting, you know, they break it down to Republicans and Democrats, and every one of those things, everybody, you know, D- Democrats and Republicans are completely different, except on money, they're exact same. <laughs> so this, this does have an extraordinary power, but it's not the only thing, is it? Well, Kyle was talking about at the beginning of this service about the songs that, that are going in our heads, the narratives that we're getting from the world, things that we've internalized and, and built our life on and around have this same kind of power. Right? Something happens. Here's, what, here's the point. Something happens that interferes with normal operations. Something's choking the seed. What is it? If you had to pick one thing in your life, what's choking the seed for you? If you had to pick one thing in your life, what is preventing water from coming to the seed and nourishing it? If you had to pick one thing in your life, what is obstructing the the grace of the sun from germinating that seed and giving it life? What are the the birds of the air? What are the predators who are having a buffet on your faith? Now this morning, I want to encourage you. Jesus wants to help us. He wants the kingdom to come to life in us. He wants us to live. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10? He said, I have come so that they might have life. I have come that they might have life and that they might have so, so, so much life overflowing life because what's his big plan is that the life is going to overflow from me to you to you to them to so forth and so on i've come that they might have so so much life what do we need this morning friends jesus wants to help you with us now this is this is a sensitive thing, right? Because it sounds like I'm 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 poking I'm trying, I'm trying to poke you guys in the eye. I want you to just be clear with me about something. We do not believe here that a person gets saved by grace and then they grow by getting yelled at, manipulated into trying their best. I do enjoy yelling, but it's more for effect. I think you hope you understand that. We don't believe that people get yelled and manipulated into doing their best, which is a fiction, your best. Let's just be real and honest here. What we believe is that the word of God, the gospel message is the power of God. That is the power of God. That's the only thing that's going to transform us and that the spirit is the only one who can effectively take the word and bring it into our lives and transform us. And the spirit is always doing that. We believe that it is only grace that has ever worked for any of us and it's only grace that works Well, paul says in titus chapter 2 he says that the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to us and he says and the grace of god has appeared teaching us how to live it's grace 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 but what we are observing this morning is that there are things that interrupt the natural operations of grace Paul himself says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 15 is where he says, we, our work is so that grace might extend to more people and increase gratitude. About 30 seconds later, he says, so we appeal to you together with God. God's doing this with us. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. If you receive the grace of God, it results in gratitude and graciousness, but it's also possible for it to come into our lives and be interrupted. And so I want to encourage you to reflect on today what the resurrection, of life, the resurrection life of Christ wants to do in you and what is in the way of it. Jesus stepped out of the tomb, right? When he did that, the light of life came into this world. And so Paul says to the first Christians, you are now light in the Lord. You are light. Light bulbs. Walk as children of light. And what does it mean to live in the light when you're a light bulb? I think Isaiah says it best. He says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord is risen. He's risen. He's risen the Lord is risen. He is risen so arise and shine. For your light has come. What might it mean for you today for the light, the life, the love, the joy, the heart, and power of Christ to pass through you? What what might that mean for you today? And here's the real thing. Would you be willing to ask him about that? Jesus, what does this mean for me and, and think about this question as, well, what might be in the way of the normal operations of grace? And again, would you be willing to just ask the Lord about that and ask him for some help with whatever is presented to you? So let's just take a moment. I' take 30 seconds of quiet. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we are here because we love your grace. We love your presence. We love when your face shines upon us, and that it has in the person of Jesus Christ. The God who said, Let light shine of darkness, shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts through the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we love you. We love all that you do. And we love that you are with us. But those aren't the only things we love, I guess. I think we all have to be honest about that a little bit this morning. Jesus, you say that as the Father sent you, so you send the disciples. You send us with your presence, with your goodness, with your light. And we love that, and we want, to, we want to be that. And so, Holy Spirit, would you please help this church, help this congregation, help all of us as we reflect on these things to see what is impeding the flow of grace in our life, to see where we have made ourselves vulnerable. And Lord, would you bring us into your joy your own joy, the joy that you have of revealing and sharing and blessing. We have been blessed with the blessing for the whole world. Would you help us to step into that, to receive that and to live with it? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.